want to remind you of that, and I know you guys are always so faithful to give, and, and it blesses my heart all the time, uh, the way that you take care of missionaries. I mean, I, mean that, I don't know if you guys know this, but when I became a missionary, Temple Baptist Church of Rogers was the very first church that partnered with me on a monthly basis, way back in 2002. 20 years ago, can you believe it's been 20 years ago? And Donnie says, when I look at Carly standing up on stage, I can remember that. I have known Brother Donnie for a long time. In fact, he was sitting outside in the waiting room with me as Carly was being born at this hospital in Little Rock. Uh, but we've been friends now for about 35 years. Um, and yes, I was 14 when that started. Just to um, but there's somebody that knows Brother Donnie even better than I do. And so I have asked his former boss, uh, Brother George Redden, uh, to come and introduce Donnie this morning. Uh, if you did not know, Brother George spent uh, 31 years working with LifeWord, and the majority of that was as the executive director. So, Brother George, tell us about your friend Donnie. Well, I'm not another guy like him anywhere. Did you see that video? Did that not excite you? 140 languages? Every day the message is going out, and it's from our church and sister churches around the world that's making that possible. But a lot of that is due to the creative vision and dedication of the one who's going to speak to us today. In 1988, Temple Baptist Church in Little Rock called a new youth director. You ought to see him. He's black hair and a great.
Well, I can't tell you what that means to me right there. That was worth the drive today. I love Brother George and Jereen. Um, you know, I worked for Brother George and I worked for Jereen too. But she led Lifeboard Singers and she let me sing. and So I was in her choir. And she's the best choral director I ever sang under. It's true. And Brother George is the best boss I ever had. He should have fired me several times. <laughs> and now I know it, Brother George. You know, uh, when I was at Temple in Little Rock, um, as a young guy, my early 30s, uh, Brother Walters used to say, Brother Donnie, a baby preacher and a baby, a young preacher and a baby wasp are just alike. He said, they're as big as they'll ever be right then. And that was me. I thought I knew some stuff, but I learned a lot under Brother George. It's an honor to be here today. Wade, where are you at, Wade? There you are. Thank you. Appreciate it. Joe, thanks for helping raise my girls. Love you. I have a connection with this family, so I have a connection with this church. <clears throat> so thank you for letting me come today. And thank you for what you're doing to help tell the world about Jesus through life word. Brother George has already told you, because of churches like yours, across the BMA, today, life word will preach the gospel in over 140 different languages to over 2 billion people. Now, somebody will say amen to that. 
And right now we're on target within the next five years to be in over 200 different languages. Isn't that great? Well, we have a lot of work to do. There's over 6,000 languages in the world. So we're just scratching the surface. But can I tell you, things are moving faster than they ever have before. Technology today has allowed that to happen. And it's because of our churches being faithful. Listen, the Great Commission was not given to LifeWorth. The Great Commission was given to the local church. And we're a tool that you can use to help fulfill your Great Commission responsibilities. In fact, can I say this today to you? I work for you. I'm your servant at LifeWorth. You own LifeWorth. You own this ministry. And I work for you. So, if you need your car washed, or <laughs> I'll find somebody to do that. Um, but it's an honor to serve you there. And our team feels that way. And this afternoon, I'm going to share a lot of things this afternoon about what's going on at LifeWorth. And I hope you'll come back. Because you'll be blown away by what God's doing around the world. It's amazing. But this morning, Brother Wade asked me to preach. And I'm looking forward to that. You might not be, but I am. <laughs> you know, a few things, there's a lot that technology has done that's been great for us. Technology has allowed us to take the gospel to places we never could before. And I'm grateful for technology. There's a lot of things about technology, though, that hadn't been real good. I think one thing that technology has really cost us in our culture today, we don't do a very good job of having conversations anymore. We're not really accustomed, and especially a new generation that's coming up, to having deep, meaningful conversations. How many of you like texting? I do too. I love texting. You know why I like it? Because I can say everything I need to say in about five words. That's it. Now, men, don't you like that? Men love that. My wife, when she texts, it looks like war and peace. <laughs> I mean, she'll fill up. It's crazy. I always say, why don't you just call them? And she'll always say something sweet like, just shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> so, but I like texting because I can just, I can be done and move on. And especially if you're dealing with a lot of people every day. And Brother George knows that. Texting solves a lot of problems as far as being able to communicate with people. But can I say this to you too? Texting has, and those type of communication tools have cost us in our culture. Because deep, meaningful conversations, they aren't happening as much anymore. And I believe that God intended for people to be one to Jesus through the art of conversation. Now, I do believe the preaching of the word is a conversation. A lot of times it's a one-way conversation. But I do want you to know that I was not led to Christ through somebody preaching on Sunday. Somebody sat down in front of me and shared Jesus one-on-one with me. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that if we're going to win this generation to Jesus, I believe it's going to be done 
101. I believe that we can use technology to make the name of Jesus famous. And I'm going to tell you today, I'll share with you that LifeWord's moving into a new era to very soon. We're going to be moving in to doing discipling online. Because the Bible didn't say to make converts. It said to make what? And we want to make disciples. And so we're going to move beyond just being a proclamation ministry at LifeWord. And we're going to be intentionally trying to disciple people. But ladies and gentlemen, even discipleship is a conversation that you have with people. And if you want to win your friends to Jesus, if you want to win your family to Jesus, it all begins with a conversation. And this morning I want to talk to you about a conversation in God's Word that to me is the most amazing conversation that's ever been had. Turn your Bible with me to John chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading verse 24. We're not going to read the entire conversation because we'd be here for a long time and we got to go to lunch because we don't want the Methodists to beat us to lunch. So, John 4 verse 24 Jesus has met a woman at a well. It's just, just her and the Savior sitting there. She doesn't know who he is, but Jesus engages this woman in a conversation. And toward the end of that conversation, in verse 24, the Bible says that Jesus says, God is spirit and worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. Just then his disciples returned. And they're surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you so much today for this church. And I thank you, Father, for her investment in the souls of men and women, boys and girls around the world. I thank you, Father, that they team with life work. A team with BMA missions. But Father, I pray today that we would stop and, and think for just a little bit and understand that that will not suffice. We cannot outsource our Great Commission responsibility. We can't pay someone to do for us what we're supposed to do ourselves. And Father, you have designed men and women, you have designed human beings to have interaction and to have relationships. And Father, you've designed us to talk to other people about your goodness and about your love and about the fact that you'll, you'll save people from their sins. And Father, I pray today that when we get through here that we'll understand better and you'll remind us again that we need to be having meaningful gospel conversations with we need to take the risk. We need to take a chance and share our love for Jesus with lost people.
Thank you again for Jesus. And we pray that we'd honor you today, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name, for it's the sweetest name I know. Amen. So to me, this is the most amazing conversation that's ever happened. And I want to talk to you for just a minute about why I think this is an amazing conversation. First of all, this is an amazing conversation because of who this woman was. Let's talk about her for just a minute. This woman is a Samaritan. And you know what that meant, right? The Samaritans were a corrupt form of the Jewish race. The Jews who remained in the northern kingdom of, of Israel when the Assyrians came and took them captive, they intermarried with all kinds of pagans and all kinds of idolatrous nations. And so they were a hybrid people that had forsaken their Judaism and they had committed the most heinous crime that a Jew could commit, and that was to mingle with idolatrous Gentiles. And this woman, she had done that. She was an outcast. These people were outcast. The Samaritans were outcast. And watch this. The Jewish people hated them. They hated the Samaritans. So this woman in our story, to the Jews... She's an outcast. She's hated by the Jewish people. And I'll remind you, Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> he was of the Jewish race. And so his race of people hated this race of people. And they hated him so much that they wouldn't even go through their country. And Jesus is now interacting with a Samaritan woman. Secondly, She's an immoral person. This woman had been married multiple times. And in fact was living in an adulterous relationship right then. Jesus told her, said, go call your husband and tell him to come here. And the woman said, I've, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've been married five times. And the guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband either. She was immoral. She was a person that you wouldn't expect the Son of God to spend time having a conversation with, would you? So not only was she an outcast, she was immoral. But watch this. She was also uneducated. For the Son of God to talk to somebody like this. The Bible said that she didn't. Jesus told her, you don't, you don't even know anything about true religion. He said to her, you don't even know what you worship. At least the Jews have the Old Testament. She was an ignorant person. She was an uneducated person. But she's talking to the Son of God. And then finally, this woman, she was, she was unacquainted totally with spiritual things. She wasn't like Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus came seeking Jesus. He came to Jesus by night because he, he knew he was a man sent from God. He was a prophet from God because nobody could do the miracles that he did. Nicodemus had seen his miracles. Well, watch this. This woman had never seen anything of Jesus. She didn't know who he was. She, she didn't know who this man was sitting on the side of this well. She's religiously indifferent She's neutral. She's got no idea who Jesus is. She's got no idea who this Jewish stranger is. She's from the dregs 
of a corrupt society and a corrupt culture. And she's a pariah in her own right. <laughs> she's an unclean woman. Watch me now. And Jesus purposely goes through Samaria to talk to this one person. Stay with me for a minute. Jesus, if you're looking for some low-hanging fruit here, somebody that'll buy in really easily, you got the wrong girl. Why her? Of all the people in this world, you've come to the wrong place. You're talking to the wrong woman. Why, what do you think Jesus was wanting me and you to see here? Let me tell you a couple of things real quickly. I think, first of all, he wants us to see as a church that if we're going to deal with lost people, we have to be purposeful about taking the message of Jesus to people who are different, to people who are indifferent, and to people who are ignorant of the truth. We have to be purposeful about taking the gospel to sinners. Now listen. We're good in the church about talking to each other about Jesus. And that's good. We should be. But how good are we at talking to people outside the church? Are you with me? Why are we here? I would say to you, we're here to be a lighthouse in this community so that the world can know that Jesus is the Son of God. But we have to be purposeful about talking to people who are indifferent to the gospel. Last week I was in New York City. And as I was sitting in a park there, in Battery Park, and watching the thousands of people come and go, I thought to myself, these people don't hate God. They just don't know who he is. Do you know the fastest religion, fastest growing religion in America? Missiologists tell us the fastest growing religion in America, some would say, is Islam. It's not. It's a group of people that we call the nuns. N O N E S. Not nuns like wearing a habit and the flying nun. That's not what I'm talking about. N O N E S. They're, they're nothing. They're indifferent. It's not that they don't like God. They don't know God. And they're indifferent to him. They've never been confronted with the reality of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was purposeful about going through Samaria, sitting down. He made a plan to talk to this woman. He knew when she'd be there, and he made a plan to meet her there that day. That didn't happen by chance. And we need to be purposeful about talking to people in our community about Jesus. Secondly, we need a plan. <laughs> it ain't just going to happen. We need to think. We need to dream. And watch this. We need to understand lost people. We need to know who they are. We need to know how they think. Or we'll never reach them. We need to be able to move out of our comfort zone 
to do what God called us to do as the church. And that's to take his message to people who, who don't know who. Listen, you want missionaries to do that, do you not? You're all missionaries. You're all called. You can't outsource this to Wade. His job is to prepare you to do it. Your job is to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came for sinners. And we need to be about his business. The church doesn't need a new mission. We just need to get about the mission that Jesus gave us. i got to move on. Second reason this story is amazing to me is because Jesus is the one who, took, who takes the first step with this woman. So he arrives at the well at noon, and women usually come in this culture at dusk to draw water. But this woman's coming at noon. You know why she came at noon. Because she's got a very bad reputation. Five husbands. She's living in adultery right now. She's got a reputation. And a reputation that is very well earned. All the other women in town are coming at dusk. But she doesn't come at dusk. You know why? Because she's ashamed. She comes at noon. Because nobody else is going to be there. And maybe she'll avoid the confrontation. Maybe she'll avoid the, the stares. Maybe she'll avoid the stigma. So she comes at noon so she doesn't have to face her shame. And Jesus shows up and wades into the shame of her life. Because that's who our God is. He wades into the shame of broken lives. He's willing to go places that other people avoid. There's no place too dirty. No place too ugly. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. He loves people that other people avoid. Jesus' very mission statement was this, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So unbelievably, Jesus makes the first move with this woman. An unbelievable move. He speaks to this wicked, beaten down, and used woman. And he says something really spiritual. He looks at her and says, hey, would you give me a drink of water? So, Donnie, that's a big deal, right? Well, in our culture, it wouldn't be. But in Jesus' culture, it was a shocking thing for him to do. Because men didn't speak to women in public. That was a breach of religious etiquette. And especially rabbis, they never spoke to women in public. So, okay. And Brother George, bless his heart, he knows how I think. I see everything on the screen. I just do. And I can see this. Here he is, Jesus, a rabbi, a Jewish man, not only talking to the woman, but talking to a woman who's an outcast, who's despised, 
who's a half-breed pagan, and worse than that, by every measure, a well-known adulteress who's probably been an adulteress for a long, long time because she's had so many divorces, and he wades into her ugliness, and he wades into her loneliness, and he wades into her pain. Do you remember the story of Jonah? So God wanted Jonah to take the gospel where? One of, the, one of the world's most, one of the most despised cities by the people at that time. Evil place. I don't think it was, it was that Jonah was afraid of Nineveh. I, I think he hated Nineveh. And I think he hated the people in Nineveh. So he went the opposite direction. I think the church is living in the land of Jonah. Because God has a mission field for us today. We've never had immorality in the United States like we do today. But we don't want to go to those people. If the world, if America's going to be saved, ladies and gentlemen, it won't be, it won't happen in Washington. I don't care who you elect. It's going to happen when God's church decides that we're not too good to talk to people that are indifferent, that are sinners, that look different from us, and who are acting a lot different from us. We can have revivals. We can have, and I think we ought to. We ought to have all that stuff. But can I say to you, we need to be talking to people one-on-one -on -one about Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in this church if these people, every week, talk to at least one lost person? Can I ask you a question today? When was the last time you did that? It's an amazing story because of the gift that got offered that day. Jesus looked at this woman and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. <laughs> she didn't know who Jesus was. So she didn't even know what to ask for. I'm convinced that most people that we know today are in the same situation. They don't have a clue who Jesus is. They don't have an idea what to do with him. And they don't know enough to ask for the gift of salvation. Make no mistake about it. He was offering her a gift. There was nothing she could do to deserve it. Nothing she could do to make up for her past. Nothing she could do to clean herself up enough to receive the gift. And ladies and gentlemen, he's still offering that gift a gift is called mercy. Can I say this to you this morning? God sent Jesus for people just like this woman. Watch. God sent Jesus 
for people just like me. Because I didn't deserve it either. A BMA missionary came knocking on my mom and daddy's door. In South Louisiana, I'm starting a new church. And my mom and daddy got saved. And today I'm working in a missions organization. I'm so glad that Brother DeWitt came by and knocked on my mom and dad's door. I got saved. My brother saved. My family saved. I've got a daughter in heaven saved. All because one man decided to knock on my mom and daddy's door. People really need to know who Jesus is. And finally, it's an amazing story because of the truth that was unveiled that day. So, All right. Now, if I mess this up right here, Brother George and Wade, y'all can straighten this out. But Brother Ron, y'all can fix this later after I'm gone. <laughs> so the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all these things. And Jesus says to her, he looks at her and says, that's me. <laughs> the one you're waiting for? I showed up today on your well. So, stay with me for a minute and see if this is okay. So up to now in the Gospel of John, John the writer presented Jesus as the Messiah. He, he presented Jesus as Messiah. John the Baptist had presented Jesus as the Messiah. Remember that? Here comes the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. The disciples... They had also given testimony of the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus had never said he was the Messiah. We've got the witness of John the Apostle, the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of the disciples, but here's the first time we hear Jesus say that he was the Messiah. The first time the proclamation of Messiahship from Jesus comes from his own lips. He could have gone to the temple and he could have made the declaration there. Maybe he could have scored an interview with the Jerusalem Times. I don't know. CNN Jerusalem did an interview. Maybe he would have called the pastor at First Baptist Jerusalem and told him. He could have gathered all the religious leaders together and made a big deal out of it. But instead, he picks the worst of sinners, an adulterous, ignorant, indifferent woman, a person who's ashamed to show her face in public, and he tells her that he's the Messiah. Does that say anything to you? Does that tell me and you anything about God's agenda? Does that tell us anything about his priorities? Jesus went to the worst to tell her that he was the best. And guess what? 
She buys in. And the Bible says the disciples come back and they find Jesus talking to this woman and they're stunned that he's talking to the woman. And the, we hear this little conversation, just a sideline in, in, the, in the gospel that nobody said, hey, what's he doing talking to this woman? Well, they knew better. What's he thinking? They knew better. And the Bible says that the woman left her water jar and went to tell people who he was. The disciples were amazed because they didn't think she was worthy to be spoken to. But Jesus did. Amen. And the thing that she thought was so important, she left it behind for what was most important. Stay with me. She went from being indifferent and ignorant and unconcerned and lost to being the first person that heard it from Jesus' own lips, that I'm the Messiah. My Lord, when will we as a church wake up and wake up to your calling? David Platt says, spend your life for the fame of Jesus' name where he's not yet known. Because they're not going to ask us. We're going to have to go and tell them. And it all begins with a conversation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment this morning? I'm so grateful I get to serve you at LifeWord. I'm grateful to hear about all the stories around the world about the 14 people that will be baptized this morning down in South America because of a LifeWord broadcast. I'm grateful that LifeWord's now broadcasting in a, a town in Peru that is the center of idolatry and we're the only gospel witness in that town. In Paraguay, I'm grateful to hear, that we, to know that we're broadcasting there in a place called the Forgotten City But can I say this to you? The people that live right here in Rogers, Arkansas are just as precious to our God as those people that live anywhere else around the world. And ladies and gentlemen, your job is to tell them who he is. Do you have friends and family who you know are lost? Do you? Do you have co-workers you know are lost? What's keeping you from sharing Jesus with those people? It really just takes a conversation. Well, I don't know enough scripture. You know John 3.16? Then you know enough scripture. You do. I want to pray for you today. And I don't know why you would respond today. I don't know if God's spoken to your heart or not. But can I say this to you? There are people waiting to know who he is.
They're waiting for somebody to tell them. They're looking for something. They're looking for answers. Would you be the one? Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to, to just sit in awe for just a little bit of a God who would come to us and find us and let us know who he is. Of a God that would go out of his way to find the worst, to find a person that really had no idea who he was and, and really didn't care. I'm grateful to know you care and you've called us to care. I pray that you'd wake us up. Help us to understand that you've called us to this. It's what you designed us to do. To have meaningful conversations with people about who you are and how you'll change their life. I pray, God, that if there's somebody here this morning that they've realized for the first time today that Jesus met them here right in this service today. And he revealed himself to them as the Messiah. I pray they'd come. Talk to Brother Wade about that. I pray for the members of this church that you'd give them a burden for people in their lives that need to know you. And Father, if there's someone here that they need to pray for this morning, that they'd come and find a place on this altar and pray for that lost person and pray that God would open their heart to something they might be able to say in a conversation. Thank you, Father, for Brother Don Thomas coming and sitting down in my living room and having a conversation with me about how to accept Jesus. And two nights later, with conviction in my heart and with your message ringing in my heart, I knelt beside my bed and I gave my heart to you. All because one man came and had a conversation with me. I love you, Lord. And I pray that we'd love you enough to tell others about you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand by the way?